Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office, at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. Speaking to you during these very hot summer days, at least they are in the Midwest. For those of you maybe out towards San Diego in that area, maybe it's not quite as hot, although it's sunny California. But suddenly, for some reason, this summer, it's been very summery, very hot Midwest here in Chicago. And it's um, you know one of those things that you just have to kind of roll with. But we're coming to you anyway through the heat and the sun of the Midwest these days. And speaking of these days, hopefully many of you were in church or in other ways joined in prayer with all of your other brothers and sisters in Christ, especially in the Catholic Church, both East and West, in what was this recent fortnight for freedom, where we've been standing up and praying and also being informed about the threat to this precious gem of religious liberty in our country. So we've had to rise up with our two greatest weapons, and that is our prayer, first and foremost, and of course, knowledge. In other words, awareness. So we know why we have to stand up. In the Byzantine church, my church in particular, my parish, we were praying a very meaningful service called the Paraclesis service, which means consolation. It's an office of consolation, which we turn to the mother of God, and we beg for her intercession to spare us from the wrath that we probably deserve from our fallen passions and from any other kind of threat inside of us or, or without, you know, from the evil in or out of us, things that are happening globally or nationally or, or, or within us, within our homes and so on. So it's a very thorough and intensive and integrated prayer called the Paracas Service to the Mother of God. And we prayed that each night and we culminated, of course, on July 4th with the Divine Liturgy, which of course is our greatest prayer we could offer to God. And we did so with the intention of preserving and protecting religious liberty. And when we do this, we're not doing this against someone. It's not about personality. It's not about Democrat, Republican. It's about, above all, the conversion of hearts. We pray in the Byzantine Liturgy many times. We pray for the conversion and the welfare, the well-being of our civil authorities, our leaders. We even name them by name oftentimes. And so our prayer, especially the Eastern Church, is always for the good of government, because government is supposed to be a reflection of the heavenly government. Yes, there's actually, in a sense, government in heaven. We don't know exactly how it is, but we do speak in those terms. We speak of a hierarchy. We speak of a kingdom, a king and a queen, and in a sense, the knights that surround him, as, you, as it were. You know, there was something like the angels and, and dominations and principalities. So the same kind of thing 
occurs on earth, only we see it in a mystical way. In fact, in the Byzantine church, we begin our liturgy by saying, blessed is the kingdom of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Byzantine bishops wear crowns and wear royal type of dress, of vestments, and our churches are very, in a sense, very royally decorated. This gives a sense of a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Earth is to reflect the kingdom of heaven. And so civil authorities for us are very, very important. They're very sacred in a sense. They, their office is very sacred, and we have a great deal of concern for them. And you'll hear us repeatedly praying for them out loud in the liturgies of the Eastern churches. True, in the Latin rite as well. But in the Eastern church, you'll hear it multiple times out loud. So we were praying, and hopefully you were praying with us. Now, one of the reasons why the Eastern churches are and should be on the forefront of this fight for freedom, for religious liberty, is because, as I mentioned before, if you listen to this program before, because we know this experience. We can sort of see the enemy coming over the hill, especially if it's a communist-based enemy. We know this philosophy. We can kind of smell it a mile away because we experienced this in communist countries, which was in Central Europe and Russia. But also, Eastern churches are in the Middle East, and they're experiencing persecution as well, blood martyrdom, in fact. And so the Eastern churches in particular are on the forefront or ought to be on the forefront, sort of being the harbingers, the prophets of this encroachment upon religious liberty. Now, there's another reason why the Eastern churches ought to be and should be and are, I believe are, certainly we are in this program and at my parish and me personally, are on the forefront of this battle, is because of our spirituality. Because I want to explain to you what's really happening here. Let's get down to the bottom of it, the, the foundational level, what's really happening. What's happening is we're having a clash, a tension between two things, ideology and reality. Now, reality, I'm going to define as eternal law or natural law. Now, the word natural law and eternal law ought to be somewhat familiar to you as Catholics, if you're listening as Catholics, but also as Eastern Christians as well. Eternal law means law is God has set it down. God has spoken about. God has, in a sense, he has shared the way things are in heaven. He has shared them here on earth. And so God has given us the way. He set it up. Natural law is how that is revealed and exists in creation. And what we do, what we do in our sacramental worldview, both East and West, particularly Eastern churches, we look at the order of creation. Our starting point is always God. That's why our architecture is that way, our art, our spirituality. It's always God's transcendence. We sort of step back, and God is front and center. We begin with his transcendence, that he is the holy other. He is the almighty one, the author of creation. He has set things down. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to look at God, in a sense. In other words, study God mystically, contemplatively, engage analytically even, intellectually, an intellectual kind of reflectiveness with all of creation. Basically, put simply, we look at the created order and we ask the question, what is it about? How does it work? Why is it there? Why did God create the things that he did and and how did he create them? That's our first question. That's our starting point and that's the critical thing. And that's part of the genius of the Eastern spirituality, starting with the utter transcendence of God. We set ourselves back. We step back and we let God be front and center. That's our starting point. Now, the next step then is once we've discerned the order of creation, especially the why behind it, how it works, the next step then is to interface with creation, to 
develop society, government, laws, healthcare plans and systems and environmental approaches, economies, whatever, marriage, family, schools, institutions, work, every place, everything then we base upon this one view. In other words, we interface with all these aspects of life on this earth based upon our perception of the natural law. In other words, how God set things up and how he revealed himself through them. All right, now let's contrast that with the other one, ideology. Ideology, even by the word itself, idea, I-D-E, you know, the word related to that would be the word idiot. That's where we get the word idiot. In fact, that the whole idea of I-D, that, that little prefix there, implies myself. It means all about myself, I, me. It's like we hear from Freud, you know, the id, I, me, ideology, idiot. We get that word idiot from there as well. I'm just trying to demonstrate, I'm not calling anybody an idiot, I'm just trying to demonstrate to you the, the meaning of this word. You know, meaning words have rich meanings, and we have to go into their rich meanings. So just in the meaning itself, the, word, the, the way the word is spelled, we already get a glimpse of something, something that's a different view. Ideology means that our starting point is not God and how he set things up. It's not a reflective, intelligent look at the created order and then designing things from there. Rather, it starts with me, with I, with what I think about something, with what I feel about something, with what I think it should be or I feel it should be. And the flaw in this is precisely because it is not based upon eternal law and natural law, it becomes unrealistic. In other words, it's not grounded in reality. It may have dimensions of reality. It may have things that sound good. You know, they use words like justice and fairness and sensitivity, and all those words sound good. Yeah, those are good words. But in reality, it's unreality. (laughs) In other words, it's what I or a person, an entity or group of people thinks about something, feels about it, or how they want it to be. Now, because it's not grounded in natural law, I'm going to use another word, a sacramental view of life, which again is a very, very Eastern, a sacramental view of life. It's not, if it's not grounded in that, it's not going to take, it's going to since grind against humanity, against human nature. So what's going to have to happen by nature is that the ideology has to be coerced. It cannot be and will not be accepted naturally because it's not based on nature. In other words, it does not have an accurate view, as John Paul II would say, and also Paul VI in his document, Humanavite, it does not have an adequate view or total vision of the human person. She doesn't start with that. It doesn't ask, what is the human person? What is our spirit? What is our charism? What is our essence? Let's design society and government philosophies around that. It doesn't ask that question. It asks a question in a kind of an abstract way, how we think something should be, and then tries to conform human nature to that ideology. Now, as I mentioned, ideology is going to require force or coercion or intimidation for it to take hold. It doesn't really take hold. It just sort of is imposed. And that is the great tension that we are facing right now between people of faith and the United States, the way our government is moving at this point. We're going to talk more about this and the significance of the Eastern churches in all of this when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's Reunion. 
and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Hello, I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I want to welcome you to Prairie Fest. That's Friday, August 10th through Sunday, August 12th, with more music and more variety than ever before at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. Friday night, August 10th at 7, rock out to the fabulous Beverly Brothers. That's why I go for that rock and roll music. On Saturday, August 11th at 2, swing with the Tilly Park Arts Alive Jazz Band. Take in the art fair and then rock with Emadar Rush. Rock and roll, Chicago. On Sunday morning, August 12th at 1130, polka with Tony Blazonchek's new phase. At 3, the Harvest Moon Band. You'll also find $5,000 raffle, beanbag tournament, children's games, church, and prairie tours. Great food, prairie fest. Friday through Sunday, August 10th through the 12th. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Details on the events link at ByzantineCatholic.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. And we're talking about Eastern spirituality or the sacramental worldview based on natural law, eternal law. In other words, the contemplative, mystical, reflective, intelligent interaction with the created order. In other words, we look at what God has done, we look at God, what he's done, why he's done it, how it works, and we proceed from there to formulate society and all aspects of society. That's the difference. Now, we're running up against what is an ideology, something not based on that, but what a person or groups of people think should be. So that's the basis, that's the tension here. And that's why, as Eastern Christians, I believe that we should be in the forefront, on the front lines, and indeed we are in many ways, of this battle. But it's significant that we're talking about this today, because today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, this is the Sunday of the Holy Fathers of the first six ecumenical councils. There were seven great ecumenical councils, according to the Eastern Church, of course, but six councils are celebrated today. And the reason why that's significant is because we honor today men, we call them the fathers of our church, you know, bishops and leaders, theologians, patriarchs, and popes, that got together, and in light of a threat to, to the truth, they defended truth. They stood up for what was right. They articulated and they stood up, even though sometimes they weren't even always in the majority or they were up against stiff competition. You know, you have to realize that uh, heresies back then, over time, heresies took hold in people, even in bishops, even in church leaders, and they became very vicious at times. 
You know, the proponents of heresy oftentimes persecuted those who taught the real faith. Now, sometimes it happened vice versa. But for the most part, many heretics were very, very aggressive about, again, once again, their ideology. It's like going back to what I said before. Ideology has to be forced. It does not take naturally. It's the same thing when it comes to the teaching of the church on Jesus Christ. And that's what the councils were about. They're really about the Trinity. In one way or another, they're about the Trinity. Who is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What is that relationship? Who is Jesus Christ? How could he be God and man? Now, those are obviously very brain-busting considerations, and no one can intellectually understand them or articulate them fully. They're mysteries beyond ourselves. But we can understand a lot about them, enough so that we live in that mystery. We don't try to figure it all out in the head. Who can comprehend the Trinity? Who can comprehend God in their head? You can't contain the uncontainable. But we do know enough about God, as he's revealed himself, to understand aspects of who Jesus Christ really is. What does it mean that he has a nature that is divine and human? Is that two different people, two different wills? Well, these are the kind of things that the heresies grew up around, around these considerations of who exactly is this God as three persons yet one God, and the second person being God and man, yet one person. Now, these council fathers were in attendance at a number of councils this century, and I'm going to just kind of go through them briefly. They start off with the first ecumenical council of Nicaea in 325, at which 318 fathers were present. And now it's commemorated on May 29th and on the seventh Sunday after Easter, and this council refuted the Arian heresy against God the Son. In other words, Arius was a heretic who said that Jesus Christ really was not totally divine. Now, you may recognize some of this, the Ecumenical Council, because the creed that we say in church, both in eastern and western lungs of the church, is the creed that came from this council. Now, the second council happened in Constantinople in 381. It was attended by 150 fathers, and it is commemorated on May 22nd. Now, this council refuted the Macedonian heresy. Now, that was a heresy about the Holy Spirit. This man, Macedonius, said that not much is said in the Scripture about the Holy Spirit, so he's not really equal to God. Well, along came a great Eastern father, St. Gregory the Theologian, and he refuted Macedonius. And one of the things he said was, he first of all, he went through the Scriptures, as only the fathers could do, and point out how the Holy Spirit is very much in the Scriptures. But he also said that God revealed himself progressively. In other words, he, he went through the Old Testament, New Testament, and then at the time of Pentecost on, with the Acts of the Apostles, he showed how God kind of unveiled himself progressively. So no, we didn't always know in each section of history exactly who the three persons of the Trinity were, but in time we did. So just the fact that the Holy Spirit is not mentioned as much as Jesus or God the Father in the Old Testament does not mean that the Holy Spirit is at the same time not God as well. And this is one of the things that Gregory pointed out against the Macedonian heretics. Now, the third council was in Ephesus in 431 with 200 fathers, and it's commemorated on, on September 9th. This council refuted the Nestorian heresy against the mother of God. In other words, that she really was not the mother of God. The, the, the person in her womb really was not God. And that's where we eventually got the term Theotokos. In other words, God-bearer. That, in fact, this person that was in her womb was man, yes, but also fully God. And that's why we call her the mother of God, not that God has an origin in a mother. It's more of an affirmation of the fact that this person, Jesus Christ, in the womb of the Virgin, was at the same time God. Now, the fourth council was in Chalcedon in 451, with 630 fathers present. 
is commemorated on July 16th. This council refuted the Monophysite heresy. Monophysite means one nature. This heresy was promoted by a man named Eutyches and some other of his followers. And what he said was that Jesus Christ, if he was God and man, that means that the, the God part had to sort of subsume the, the human part. So the human part wasn't fully there. You know, he kind of hedged on that. It's kind of the opposite of the Aaron heresy. You notice what's happening here. Through time, through all, the, all of the councils, it's always a matter of trying to figure out and articulate, to understand and to live in the mystery of who exactly is Jesus Christ and who is this God who is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Fifth Council was in Constantinople in 533 with 160 fathers. It's commemorated on July 25th. This council refuted the heresy of Origen. Origen was a great mind of the church, a great, one of the greatest minds ever. It's unfortunate that that mind, I guess it's almost like the cup runneth over. His mind was so great and so brilliant, at times he kind of spilled over into, maybe he thought too much. He spilled over into some teachings that weren't exactly correct. But a lot of what he had to offer was very valuable for the church. But regrettably, he did become heretical in some of his ideas. The Sixth Council was in Constantinople in 691 with 170 fathers, and it's commemorated on January 23rd. And this council refuted the Monothelite heresy, very similar to Monophysite. Monophysite had to do with the natures of Jesus. This had to do with his wills. In other words, if he is only one person, then he can only have one will. But see, he had a human will and a divine will. This is what the church fathers finally articulated. Fully human, fully divine, which means he had to have had a human will and a divine will. The Seventh Ecumenical Council is not celebrated with these other six. And the reason is because it stands out by itself. It's kind of interesting because it's a council that had to do with icons. It was held in 787 with 367 fathers present. And although it's not commemorated on this occasion, it's commemorated on its own on October 11th. And this council refuted the iconoclast heresy. Iconoclast means icon smashers. Now, why would this council in the Eastern churches be set apart as, in a sense, special? Almost, you can almost say superior or, or just special in regard to all the others. So all the others obviously are very important, but this one is special. And it's special because of iconography. You might say, why? Because of paintings and art? Well, yes, because of what that means. It kind of sums up all the other councils in other words, because of all the other councils, this council declared that it is, in fact, right, and in fact, we must portray Jesus Christ in imagery, that we can portray invisible things through visible matter, through physical matter, so that the invisible becomes visible through the physical. And why? Because of what the, all the other councils said and established, that God did, in fact, become incarnate, fully God fully human, the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the image of the Father. And only because of that now, all created things have their, in their own way image God. They can manifest God. And so not only should we, but we must make God manifest through physical things, including and especially sacred images. Because if we can't paint sacred images, then what happens is you deny all the other councils. So you see how important this one was. So it stands out by itself. Besides, one of my favorites because I'm an artist. I do icons and church art. And so it's kind of a little special to me, this council as well. Now, all these councils were under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
And according to the Catholic interpretation, a council is ecumenical when it is called by the Pope or presided over by the Pope or the Pope approves of it. In the Eastern Orthodox churches, they don't exactly have that same definition because they don't acknowledge councils that they were not in attendance at. In other words, all the councils after the Great Schism in 1054, the Eastern Orthodox churches will not necessarily say that they are ecumenical or they don't really necessarily honor or incorporate what those councils may have said because they were said in their minds for the Western Church. These are one of these many areas that we have to work on ecumenically, obviously. But the main thing is, in the Eastern churches, councils and the council fathers are very, very significant because they articulated for us what our true belief is. And it's all based upon, not ideology, it's based upon the eternal law, the natural law, the sacramental view of life, where the starting point is God's utter transcendence. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. Oh.